Hi, I'm Jay Thomas, and welcome to the Ball Tires Podcast. You know, maybe I spent too many nights as a kid watching car shows and car movies, things like Smokey and the Bandit, Dukes of Hazard, Bullet, uh, Fast and the Furious, even The Love Bug and Speed Racer. But I think every car guy and car girl out there at some point has dreamt of being a race car driver. Today, we're talking to somebody who's turned that dream into reality. Saskatoon's own Dan Shirley joins me to talk about his career, where he started at his own family business, Shirley Service, went to Bridge City Speedway, and eventually to Cascar. This is the Bald Tires Podcast, because when you make great memories, you make bald tires. I'm here with Dan Shirley, and uh, Dan is a family friend of mine, and you may know Dan from around Saskatoon. He wears lots of hats, and you've done lots of stuff around our city, Dan, and um, people of a certain age might recognize you as Mr. Shirley, because you were a teacher for a long time, right? 31 years. 31 years Mm -hmm. uh, in the separate school system. That's right. What schools? Oh my goodness. Started out at Sister O'Brien, and then moved to St. John, St. Augustine, St. Philip. St. Dominic, St. Augustine. Yeah. (laughs) A whole bunch. St. George. Yeah. So there's lots of kids. Many. Around here who Mm -hmm. may have had Mr. Shirley uh, as a teacher. But uh, Dan Shirley's other hat is a race car driver. And uh, that's kind of a torch that's been passed along in your family now to your son, Matt. Matt Shirley, who's now racing at Wyant Group Speedway. So that's really cool. Um, But yeah, it's great to have you, Dan. Thanks for for coming on the show with me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Okay, so the other thing that, uh, the other tie and I think of is that, uh, you know, there's Shirley's service, and that mm-hmm. is certainly a part of your family history, right? It definitely is, yeah. So tell me tell me the whole story. Where did, where did Shirley's service begin? Well, my dad uh, started, well, he took it over from his dad, my grandpa. Yeah. And I grew up at Shirley's service, the old, the same location, but in the old... Uh, service station. It had a suite attached to it, and uh, after mom and dad were married, that was their first house attached to the, the old Shirley service. The garage, cool. Yeah, and uh, so we lived there for five years, and uh, I remember dad would put me in a stack of two or three tires and give me a screwdriver and a carburetor off of a 55 Chev, and and uh, I would take that apart. I, I don't think I could put it back together again, <laughs> but I could definitely take it apart. And that kind of, those skills uh, were transferred into the kitchen. And at a young age, I'd have all the all the knobs off the cupboards and all the pots and pans out. And if I could get the bottom drawer out of the, off the stove, out of the stove, I would. And just uh, things were, uh, I liked taking things apart and trying to put them back together again. And so uh, the garage was my, my playpen. I, Dad would sit me on the fender of an old vehicle and he would point at the parts and I would learn what they were and then I had to tell him what they were. and uh, Recite yeah. them back to him. That's right, yeah. That's pretty cool. So yeah. Shirley Service has been around a very long time then. That's right. And still is around today. Totally existing as a family-run operation. My uncle Ray is uh, still the still the man behind it. Uh, although he is semi-retired, uh, my aunt Donna does the books for Shirley Service, and uh, my co- two cousins, Greg and Chris, are technicians there. And uh, I have my another cousin's son, James, who's finishing up his uh, journeyman and working on that. So they've got multiple generations there. And that. That service station's been in the same spot its entire existence in Riversdale? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Since uh, the guys, Chris would know, um, I'm going to guess, because Shirley Service was rebuilt in about 1970, I'm going to say, 69 or 70. And so it was there before that. I'm going to say from in the 50s. Wow. Yeah. 
Now, now it's not a motor shop, but it was a gas station when you were growing up there too. That's right? right. Yeah, you could come and get gas, and that was kind of my first job. My first paying job uh, was being a pump jockey at Shirley Service, <laughs> and uh, you met a lot of really cool people uh, in that capacity. Although it did cause me some stress because. Uh, as I got a little older, I'd be about grade six or grade seven, and dad would be teaching me things, you know, simpler jobs. And I would learn those, and I'm working on a car in the back, and then I hear the ding ding of somebody's at the pumps, and then I'd hear, Dan, it's, that's your cue, get out there. <laughs> and so I would be uh, somewhat distraught about having to go serve a customer at the gas pumps, because in my mind, it interrupted my job that I was working on. And I'd be saying maybe some colorful things under my breath, but who would get out of the car would be Bishop James Mahoney. <laughs> he would come up from the cathedral in his, uh, I think he had like a 72 or 73 Caprice, and he was just such a happy, jolly, fun, nice man. And uh, so then I would feel like two inches tall after <laughs> thinking what I was thinking. And then uh, it's, it's the bishop getting out of his car asking me to fill it up, check the oil, and would you please uh, do the windows? You know? so. Okay, so you must have a million good stories about working at Shirley's Service. Because, I mean, this is also the time, like we're talking the 60s and 70s here, where, yeah. I mean, you guys worked on, you worked on classic cars like the one that I drive. Yes, and, oh yeah. I mean, you're still working on my classic car, which yeah. I'm, I'm really thankful for. But there must have been all kinds of crazy stuff that happened. Yeah. Um... What's your, <laughs> what's your favorite story? Well, there's, there's a few. There's some embarrassing stories, uh, but maybe we won't get into those. <laughs> oh, those are the good ones. Podcast. Yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> There was a there was a piece of concrete um, the the driveway the concrete from the the driveway would extend into the lot and uh, it was always easy to kind of spin you know make a screeching sound on that concrete <laughs> and so after you tune up a person's car you take it for a bit of a test drive to make sure it was good and it always was and then you uh, <laughs> then you give it a little shot on that little piece of concrete just to prove it and yeah, lay a little rubber and... oh yeah just a little screech and it's all good and... but uh yeah uh we had some customers that were car buffs and uh Stuart white was one of them and he's still in the uh car sales oh really and he was younger oh, of course we we're all younger back then and uh he would come oh he had some real nice nice stuff like he'd have boss uh 302 mustangs oh, he nice. has camaros uh he had a vega juiced up with uh big v8 in it and uh and he would take us for a ride in that and it's like holy smokes when you're that when you're i don't know 12 or 13 and you get in one of those cars and he hits the gas and it accelerates like it does it it just it's such a it's a combination of a violent thing but a thrilling thing it would be maybe like being an astronaut strapped to a rocket you know heading for outer space when you experience that the first time it, you, it was awesome i've yeah. got an uncle who's yeah. got um a ford capri this is before the capri was a twin the mercury capri of the of the mustang this is the uh european capri right. that was 72 or 73 yeah capri. something something like long that long nose long nose short yeah. short rear end yes, and yes. uh 2.8 liter v6 yes. yeah had one of those yeah it's got a cam in it mm -hmm. and my uncle colin's got no problem winding it out oh yeah and i just had this memory just like you're you're talking though somebody and it sticks in your mind from when yeah. you were a kid the sound the yeah. feeling and it was just lightning yeah and i remember going to 
the Dragon's Rod and Custom Show nice. on, at Easter yeah. in that Capri. Okay. And I had been, I don't know, eight or nine, something right. like that. Yeah. My uncle would come up from Moose Jaw, mm-hmm. and me and my dad and my uncle would go to the Dragon's Show when it was yeah. at Sask Place. Now, okay. I know it's Sask Tail Center now, but right. Sask Place. And I just remember pulling back out of that show, and ah, oh, you know, you're so thrilled with all the cars right. you saw. And then my uncle would wind that thing out on the highway back into the city. And that's nice. like a moment in my head that yeah, just yeah. lives there. For sure. It's just a fun place to visit, but it's the same thing you're talking about, oh, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, it, yeah, th- those are kind of the the little seeds of, of maybe what's going to develop when you get older. And I guess uh, I had a desire for that that speed, that power. Well, yeah. 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 Right. Okay. So, yeah. so take me th- through this. You worked for Shirley service when you were starting, what, 12, 13, 15, something like that. Um, and I remember, well, I kind of, it was my home away from home every Christmas holiday and Easter break and summer holiday, um, from grade five on. And, uh, so working as a pump jockey, but then every summer too, from about grade six or seven on working in the back and at the, in the front yeah. and, and then also on Saturdays, uh, cleaning the shop floor and stuff like that. Like it, it, uh, working there kept me out of trouble and, uh, it taught me a lot of skills that I've used to this day. So I was very thankful for that. Uh, maybe it, uh, helped, uh, create an environment in which we got in. Well, it for sure did. We got into stock car racing. And uh, we were able to work on our race cars there, although that came with that didn't come without its challenges. But uh, <laughs> we worked through all of those, and uh, yeah, it, so it's, it was something. I want to know what inspired you to to choose to be a teacher rather yeah. than just continue in the family business. Right, and you know there 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 was a time um, like between high school and university, I worked full time uh, as a mechanic in the back. And, uh, that during that time I was contemplating, what am I going to do? Yeah. Uh, like I really liked, I was living at home at the time. So I was banking my money and saving it and saving it. Uh, and then I was driving a four year old car at that time. So I was living large. Yeah. Hot car. Yeah. Uh, well, it was a 78, uh, what was it? Chevy, a 78 Chevy Malibu two door, but I'd get it repainted. I had about four or five cars that I would get repainted as soon as I got them. That's back in the day where... We dealt with uh, Olson's Auto Body, um, just north of 22nd Street on about Avenue uh, B okay. or C, yeah. And man, they would do real nice work, and it didn't cost you an arm and a leg like it does now. But <laughs> uh, not to say that it's not worth it. I mean, the the, the body oh, techs sh- and the paint techs. I mean, that their technology and and everything. They gotta they gotta make a living too. They but, do, they do. But wait, but it certainly but, is expensive painting a car now, it right? It is. It yeah. is. But uh, no, we, we, we got into that. So I thought there was a time where maybe we're going to have an east side Shirley service. Oh. And then dad and I would move over to the east side and operate that shop. And the west side one, Ray and Albert, and uh, my cousin Ken would look after the west side shop. But that kind of, the, the, mo- the momentum behind that concept kind of faded. And then, so then I thought, well... Uh, at when I was soon as I turned 16 I got involved in stock car racing uh, against my dad's wishes because I tried to follow in my uncle's footsteps where my dad was the car builder and the crew chief for my uncle Tom Tom was the driver and and uh, I grew up watching those guys race like I'd be five or six or seven years old and, and dad would take me to the racetrack and we'd be watching watching uncle Tom race and it was totally awesome uh, and uh, dad dad uh, 
He says, Dan, you don't have what it takes to be a race car driver. I says, well, what does it take? He says, well, you got to be, you got to be kind of rough and tough. And, and, and Tom was, uh, he, it's not like Tom was a, a goon or anything like that, but he, <laughs> he was a very athletic, sports-minded guy. He was a boxer and stuff like okay. that. And he was, a, he was assertive. Um, tough guy? Tough guy, yeah. Uh, nice guy, like still my uncle and had a lot of respect for him. But uh, so, but so, yeah, dad went on a family holiday with the family. They went out with the camper out to Vancouver. I stayed home for those two weeks. I went to my cousin's farm, worked for them for a couple of weeks because I wanted to exchange my labor for them helping put a very simple roll cage into a 66 Dodge Polara that I took out of Carmark Auto Parts, which I think now is Buck's Pick Apart or something like that. So uh, when dad came back home with the family uh, uh, from this holiday on the corner of Shirley Service on Spadina and Avenue C was this uh, burgundy uh, 66 Dodge Polara all gutted out with a very simple roll cage in it. And uh, I, yeah, that was our first wonderful race car. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. So where, where did you race at that point? Bridge City Bridge Speedway. City, always, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which was out by uh, current Arendelle. That's right. Like out past the Psych Center. Yeah, yep. if you take Central Avenue. That's right. And you head north. Yeah. It's actually, I've, I've looked at some maps. Uh, mm-hmm. There's been a posting recently, and it might have been from, uh, the, you know, the current Speedway, but basically somebody mapped out where the thing used to be and sort of yeah. overlaid it on top of current Google Maps. Yeah. There's houses there. There's, there's oh, like sure. There's zero left of anything that you could find of the track. It's completely, completely gone. That's right. But I remember going out there as a kid too. Yeah. And the, that was that was so much fun mm-hmm. because that track had no walls on it. That's right. There was, you know, nothing. So yeah. when it was the sort of the, it wasn't called a demo derby. What was it called? Enduro. Right? Oh, the Enduros. The Enduro. And they are also uh, thunder cars out there. Yeah. And they were their, their kind of... Uh, philosophy was you got to bump to pass well and then it was bumping the the car would bump off the track and roll into the bush and you know like yeah and then come come screaming out you know dirt flying and everything that's right that was good times the corner one and two and they disappear they'd go down the banking on the other side and then they'd come back you'd see a trail of dust coming and then they'd come down the back straightaway and up in the air because there's a bit of an elevation change between outside of the racetrack to on it. And, uh, yeah, and they'd be back on the racetrack, sparks flying. And yep. Raring to go. That was good. That was really cool. Yeah. It really was. So, okay, so you're like, oh, you got this Dodge so, Palera. Yeah. And so the thought was I knew I was going to be a race car driver for a long time. Although after my very first race, I, I was going to quit. But that's almost a story in itself. So, but you asked me why did I become a teacher and not a mechanic? Yeah. So I knew, uh, or I thought I would be a race car driver for a long time. Um, would I want to work on customers' cars during the day, and then my race car stuff on the, during the evenings and weekends? Mm-hmm. And uh, to prepare for a race season, you have to like back in the day, we would st- I would start in January, um, and that was in street stock days. So if you are performing in a different level you even have to be working your season is extended even more the amount of time you spend in the shop making sure your equipment is right uh that pays dividends on like you know during the race season Mm -hmm. so i knew at that point i might want to consider a different job from my passion or from my hobby okay you know instead of working on cars all day and then working on your own car yeah and yeah. work with people. What's the opposite of cars or and mechanics and um, machines? Well, the opposite of that is people. And then I thought, well, my uncle would host 
these Shirley reunions. Um, like my dad was one of 12 kids. Wow. And uh, so we had cousins galore and we'd have, uh, they were just a big blast to have all the, all the cousins together and the aunts and the uncles and 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 uh, I kind of had a, a bit of a following around me, and I thought, well, maybe, maybe I've got some aptitude towards being a, a teacher. And I thought, well, at the very least. And back in the day, you, getting an arts degree, what does that give you? Nothing. I mean, well, <laughs> it, it expands your mind, and that's great, and, and it shows you alternative ways of thinking, and those are all wonderful things. But uh, I thought, okay, I'll get an education degree, and if that all works out, I'll become a teacher. If I don't like it. Uh, or if it just isn't a good fit for me, then hopefully some of the skills I've learned in that process will help me, you know, be a better parent. And because like back in the day when I was 16, 17, 18, I guess I was 18 or 19 making this decision, but uh, I kind of thought I'd get married, although I wasn't really going out with anybody at the time. So I was hoping, <laughs> hoping, crossing my fingers. Fingers crossed, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I, I, I kind of tried to hedge my bets and uh, try to make, decisions uh to to give me the best possible set of options that makes sense okay yeah, yeah. so that's why i didn't that's why you didn't that's yeah. why i didn't and actually after the first couple of, once i get the first couple of years uh under my belt uh because teaching is a challenge uh but it's also extremely rewarding and uh i was very after 31 years of it very very grateful and happy that it turned out the way it did yeah yeah and and you were still able to do your passion for oh, a huge chunk of that. Yeah. Right. And uh, for sure. And and then to say that, uh, yeah, to to be racing a lot longer than ever I thought I would, uh, racing at very competitive levels throughout the country, uh, that 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 surpassed my expectations when I first started for sure. And then to still be active with my son Matthew now, that's uh, it's it's pretty incredible. That answers my first question. Mm-hmm. Take me through or take us through your your racing career. We talked about the Dodge Polara. I mean, that, that's the start. So so what was next? Oh, my gosh. Well, I, my very first race, Yeah. Uh, I, I teamed up with my cousin and because uh, he, he, he was a, uh, a farmer. And he was the one that helped me get that roll cage in that okay. car. Yep. And he had a truck. I didn't have a truck. So we could tow this car to the racetrack. So we would share races. I would race a heat race, he would race a heat race. I would race one feature, he would race the next week's feature. And anyway, my first race day, they started you according to your average points. So since we came out in August, we had zero points. They started us right at the front. And that's where you don't want to be when you're a brand new rookie. But that's, I didn't know any better. And I'm leading this race for a few laps. And I'm thinking, this is awesome, but this can't be this easy because I've seen, I've watched this my whole life and I've wanted to do this my whole life. It can't be that easy. And then I spun out all by myself coming off a corner too. And then I get going again and I'm racing some more. I spin out again and then, okay, that's fine. No wrecks involved or anything like that. And then later on that day, uh, I'm in a race a, a big Buick. Oh, gee whiz. It might be just right around your vintage of Buick. Just about the one on I drive. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't white. It was more of a gold. <laughs> and it was sit. It was sitting in just the middle of corner three and four. And I'm going down the back straightaway and I don't see this thing. And I'm making my cut for the corner and I don't see it. 
because I'm, I'm watching my hood ornament. I'm not looking far enough ahead. I see it at the last minute. I try to steer, but I brake and steer at the same time, and that doesn't work. It just skids, yeah. It skids, and I ran right into the back of it and hit it so hard, it ruptured the fuel tank. It shoved the trunk right almost to the back wheels. Oh, boy. And uh, so it absorbed a lot of energy, which was good. Gas was leaking on the track. My car stalled. I started it up, put it in reverse, backed up. We put, uh, one of the things we did put on that car behind the bumper, we put some extra tubing, like roll bar, like we put a pipe in between the frame rails there, yep, which yep. was really good because <laughs> that protected our radiator. So uh, you, but the, the bumper didn't go, or the Buick didn't go through your rad. That's was, right. Yeah. Yeah. I backed out of it and then brought it into the pits and then I'm um, just my whole body is shaking and just trembling it's like oh yeah this was one of the worst accidents you could possibly be in as a race car driver because you um there's wrecks that you can't avoid you know yeah this one I could have avoided and so I'm working at Shirley service uh, the next morning Saturday morning and uh pumping gas and taking my turn working a Saturday my aunt comes in and and uh my aunt Marilyn she says how'd the races go yesterday and so I told her, and I says, yeah, I'm thinking of quitting. But, you know, I've, I've wanted to do this so long, ever since I watched my uncle race and ever since I raced wagons down hills or uh, racing two-wheelers or just anything, snowmobiles, um, uh, I thought, okay, i got to give it a bit more time. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I made a promise to myself never to make the same mistake twice. If I do, if I make that same boneheaded maneuver again, uh-huh. I'm done. I'm not racing again. And uh, I kind of made that promise to myself and uh, and kept it ever since. Understanding, uh, like as you do race enough, there are times where you're going to be in a wreck. And in hindsight, there might have been something you could have done, but you didn't know that at that time. Mm. You've done something to try to avoid it. It didn't work. So uh, you're in it. I bet yeah. you, yeah, I, I'm, 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 I think everybody's had an experience like that though, where you've mm-hmm. done something and you really do feel so stupid after oh. that's you almost beat yourself up more inside yeah. than yeah. anything else, oh, right? Because you knew after it happened, oh, it was I was brutal. just being dumb, right? Yeah. I could, that could have not happened. Right. Was the car, I mean, not the, the Buick was wrecked, but was your car wrecked? No, no. Heck no. And then, so we, we, my cousin Greg and I were, we're working together. Uh, he's a big part of our racing early on, early on, and he still does help us out from time to time. We used to race in his pasture because when I was <laughs> in grade six, uh, I had my first car. It was a 66 um, Volkswagen Beetle, kind of a burgundy <laughs> pink combination. Bought it for 50 bucks because it had supposedly two broken axles. But when you jack up uh, a VW of that vintage... The back wheels, they, they they go in at the bottom. That's right. Yeah. They camber that's in. That's normal. Well, sure. The, that's yeah. the way the suspension you, is set up. Exactly. You put it back down on the ground. It lines. Everything goes vertical. It's perfect. So bought that for 50 bucks in the shopper, in the shopper's newspaper, kind of a just a weekly free newspaper. <laughs> I've, I spotted that. I showed it to dad. And dad says, Dan, that, that, that won't have broken axles. But we'll we'll go see it. And uh, so dad licensed it and he would drive it back and forth to work. So I'm just thrilled because I'm a passenger in a car that I bought because I saved my money working at the garage (laughs) and in a grade five or grade six. And then when we'd go out to my cousin's dairy farm, 
uh, between Saskatoon and Martinsville, just off of Highway um, Highway 12. Yeah. Um, he would be, he'd have a Viva Vauxhall that he used to go and, and uh, herd the cattle up to bring them in for milking time. Although, and now I'm just thinking, uh, now that you're, you know, you got a few years under your belt, cows would come into the dairy barn with probably somebody going out ringing a bell because they know when they get milked, they're going to get the nice grain, right? But anyway, <laughs> when you're a kid, like, oh, it, oh, I can go get them with a car. That's, that's what we need to do. I am helping the family out. I'm doing a job and I get to drive a car. So we would be chasing each other out in the pasture. I'd be in the, in the Volkswagen, he'd be in the Viva and we'd be just racing around, just that's having a blast. Funny, Yeah. So anyway, this same Greg, Fast forward to when we're 16 years old. Uh, he's driving the tow truck, and uh, I'm doing something, maybe paying at the back gate or something. And he goes and he parks the car. Where would you not park your 66 Dodge Polara on the second race meet? Where would you not park it? On the track? No. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Not on the track. But where in the pits would you not? Who would you not want to park beside? I don't know. Number one racer. How about the guy that you ran into the oh. week before? <laughs> <laughs> that's, Whoops! that's the guy greg barked beside and i get there i'm walking up and i'm thinking gee greg why did you do that <laughs> like and so i i thought well might as well get this over with and i look at the guy that drove it the this buick and and he's a bigger guy and he's a very fit hard-working farmer and uh i'm thinking oh i'm done but, you're dead yeah i'm dead but let's just get this over with i went over i talked to him i introduced myself i said you know i really i'm sorry for what happened that was a boneheaded maneuver on my part and uh so i apologize that that shouldn't have happened and he says well you know dan no problem because this is the same car i just hooked up one four-wheel drive tractor to the front and another four-wheel drive tractor to the back <laughs> and we drove in opposite directions we stretched it out she's good to go i said right on <laughs> that was it yeah, that he was didn't, it he no, didn't, didn't keep a grudge me, didn't, didn't keep a grudge or nothing didn't beat you no, up on the track no, after that no 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 wow. it was all good yeah. that's impressive yeah so that was my <laughs> first and second race yeah so that was the what division again sorry uh, that it was called Claimer Division back then, which preceded what is currently now called Street Stock. Okay. Yeah. So you had the Polera, you did that. Where did it go from there? Uh, we, in our first full season um, of competition the following year, we finished 13th overall. Um, our best race night, we had three second place finishes with that thing. And it the first place car was a cheated up 1970 Le Mans. With a 350 four barrel aluminum intake, and it might even have set of headers on it. <laughs> and you're not allowed any of that stuff, but teching was a little bit, uh, how do you say? Loosey goosey? Maybe. And then, you know, not intentionally, but th there were just things getting uh, passed on through. So, anyway, I had we had the 66 Dodge Polera manual steering, manual brakes, <laughs> 318 big block, two barrel racing against a small block 350 with aluminum intake four barrel and headers and headers and we finished second to him and i could still see him we were on the same straightaway although at the end of that race meet i went up at intermission and i says dad the motor's knocking because dad wouldn't even he would watch from the stand sometimes um 
And I said, Dad, the motors might blow. He says, well, Dan, there's not much you can do. Just drive her until she blows up, or it probably won't blow up. Because, you know, growing up in a garage where uh, your dad and your uncles take pride in fixing things, you don't want to drive something that you know is going to blow up. I mean, race car motors, they will blow up eventually. Right. But you don't do it on purpose. Anyway, so, but that motor was just so loose, it... It, it, that's about as fast as it could go. And uh, <laughs> so the following week, after fin- having three second-place finishes, uh, and ironically, the week before, I was disqualified because we had illegal springs in the back because we, uh, Dad, because um, back in the day when they raced, if they had leaf springs in the back of their cars, they would just take a torch, heat up the big uh, leaf spring yeah. in front of the rear shackle, heat it up, it bends down, it bends, the car The car lowers, the spring bends, you let it naturally cool. You've perfect. lowered your car. You've lowered your car in like <laughs> less than five minutes. It's like <laughs> perfect, it's win-win. Yeah. So he used that same t- strategy on this 66 Dodge Polara. So as people were noticing, this big, wonderful, not race car claimer actually started doing impressive things on the racetrack the tech committee started looking at it ah and they noticed dan you're not allowed to do that to your springs well where does it say in the rule book specifically that i mean i'm asking <laughs> legitimately because i'm a new guy here and i don't want to purposely cheat uh so we were inadvertently like cheating so we had to fix it so we get the welder over and he heats up the springs and uh, we straighten them out uh-huh but then it's it's hot. It's kind of like this spring, you know, where everything's a bit of a, it's dry. And so I thought, okay, we can't have this fire hazard going here. And so I took a water bottle and I, I cooled the spring off. But that's exactly what you shouldn't do. Boing. Yeah, exactly. It just broke. So uh, we had to sit out that race. I come up to the stands. I'm watching with Dad. Why are you up here watching with me? I said, well, I, I explained what I did. He says, Dan, you shouldn't have done that. And I says, well, yeah, I know that now. <laughs> But why aren't you in the pits helping us? <laughs> so eventually dad did come into the pits because uh, he knew I wasn't going to quit racing. And uh, uh, then kind of around that time, ever since then, he's been one of my one of my top, top, most dependable crew guys for sure. So he really he really came around then. Like oh, he, was he did. Kind of against it, like you said. Totally you against it. He didn't think was I it, had it. Was it just a, was it that or was he just afraid for your safety? Or was it a combination? Uh, maybe a combination. Dad was never one to really open up uh, too much. He kind of kept his words to a minimum. Okay. Um, but being a dad myself, I could definitely understand why it would be both. For yeah. Sure. Oh well, yeah. And you're a dad of another race car exactly. driver. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So there's the whole safety aspect. Yeah. Well, and but, it's yeah. But Dad was a competitor too. Um, he wouldn't let on to that, but he definitely, he definitely was. I think that's something actually about you that I'm, I'm surprised because mm-hmm. you are, uh, it doesn't seem Dan, like you're a competitive person, but obviously you are very competitive. Would that be true? Yeah. yeah. Dad would say when the helmet goes on, I'm a different person and I wouldn't, yeah, I could see why. Like in the race car, uh, when it's working good, it's awesome. And it's. It's only going one place, and that's forward. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I want to do it. 
I've always wanted to do it the right way, um, a competitive way, um, a sport in a sportsmanlike fashion mm-hmm. way. But if you feel like you're getting taken advantage of, uh, as as my experience increased, uh, I did not put up with any of that. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, one time in street stock, three years uh, maybe after our Dodge, we had a nice Camaro. Uh, about a 71 Camaro with leaf springs and we put a 327 we had two cars that time and we had uh, our big motor big carburetor in uh, like a 72 GTO Mm -hmm. we had our best motor best carburetor in that car our lowest horsepower motor and not so good of a carburetor in our best chassis, our Camaro. We yep. had two cars then because uh, we wanted to have two cars. We were going for the championship. If our primary car, which was the GTO, got claimed for $800, because back then if you if somebody out of the stands wants to buy your car for 800 bucks, you have to give it up. And there's no questions asked. Really? You just hand them the key or hand them the combination to push the flip this switch and push this button to start it. Uh, yeah. So our car got claimed one night, and we had to bring out our Camaro. And uh, yeah, we had we had two cars that year. I can't, I'm sorry, I got a little sidetracked, but uh, <laughs> that's uh, good. Yeah. Um, those that was that was an awesome day. Our our GTO was fast. Uh, we had a bit of a tough day though. A guy, we were past, we were going down the front straightaway and one of our competitors, uh, got spun. So he got hit in the left rear quarter panel and he's coming down and going across the track perpendicular to my (laughs) direction. And so I'm driving the car as low on the straightaway as I can. I see him coming. If I break, I'm going to hit him or he's going to hit me really hard. If I gas it, I might be able to clear him. And so I gas it and he gets me with his nose right in the passenger door, but I'm on the gas pretty good. So it's just a quick little peel back, but he kind of can open it the right rear, uh, the right, the quarter panel and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And so we're driving the street stock around the track. The quarter panel is up and catching air and it's kind of beat up. It's still finished well. And after I chewed out the poor guy that hit me, <laughs> I says, what were you doing? And he says, well, I didn't have any brakes. I didn't have any back brakes. And, I, and then I said, well, then your front brake should have been locked up. <laughs> anyway, uh, after I chewed him out, uh, <laughs> um, uh, th- there was a combination of cars getting claimed. And so it's one of the, so if one car gets claimed, the driver of that carless team goes to his competitor and says okay i'm claiming yours oh and my car was the last car to get claimed that day i think six cars got claimed or maybe four or six cars got claimed so i'm the one that ends up with the 800 bucks in my pocket and so i go over to fred smales who was a postal carrier and he was the number two competitor in points for the championship that year (laughs) we were battling hard like who knows we might have been tied at that time yeah and uh i go up with the 800 dollars, and he's driving a ford falcon and he's the only ford falcon or ford that's really competitive out there and while he was in second in points i mean he's good yeah so anyway uh and 
I go up and I wave that money in front of him. Says, Freddie, I've never driven a Ford before on the racetrack. <laughs> and he says, Dan, you wouldn't be claiming that thing from me tonight. Don't be doing that. He, like he was a fire, fiery redhead guy. And I says, no, that's okay. We'll bring out our Camaro. We'll race you next week. And so he just kind of breathed a sigh of relief. And uh, But we brought out our Camaro. But, oh, yeah, you were asking me about kind of the fiery uh, competitor aspect. With that Camaro... Um, it was fast. Oh, it was awesome. And because uh, we kind of knew that some of the tricks as far as shock selection, spring selection. Back then we knew if you take uh, a front spring out of a 68 Parisian station wagon and cut one or two coils off of it and cool it in used oil, don't cool it in water, and then uh, <laughs> you put that in there in the right front, you take the stiffest shocks you can get that you can fit in the back, uh, in the front and the back, and you don't look for applications that fit just Camaro. You look for like applications like a station wagon. You pick a heavy car because yeah. they would have heavier dampening forces. Right. And uh, you would just make sure that the physical dimensions would work, and then you would put those on your car. And uh, oh, that thing was a dream to drive. Anyway, uh, we, we, uh, it got to the point where you start at the back and back then our flagman would start the race. He'd be on the racetrack, waving the green flag on the start finish line with his feet on the pavement. And so you would have to, there'd be two lines of cars driving on either side of them. Yeah, one on either side. That's right. And so then for the first lap of a, of a race, often cars would stay apart from each other and i knew that so one one race these two lanes were wider than ever before and it's like okay boys i'm going up the middle here <laughs> like of course this is after you pass the start finish line you don't yeah, want to be yeah. nailing the flagman so anyway <laughs> i'm going up the middle and i'm making gains like crazy and then all of a sudden the the two lanes they close up and i get sandwiched between two cars and then i slow down a little bit you know i'm kind of i'm kind of like a a seed in a in a grape or something like that and i'm getting squirted out the back because yeah. i'd go back another two cars and they would kind of squeeze me i'd go back another two and they would squeeze me and i thought okay and as soon as i went single file i got behind uh, I was behind, like they basically spit me out to the back. My car's dinged up, and I'm in a rage. I was uh, my my right foot that's on the gas because you, your right foot's on the gas, the left foot's on the brake. Because as actually in street stock, I would drive with one foot. In super late and everything else, I drove with two feet. Anyway, right. uh, that's different. But I thought you guys so. Once I got out in the open and things kind of went single file, yeah. I'd catch a car, give them the bumper, pass them. Catch the next car, give them the bumper, pass them. Every car I passed, I hit first. And not real hard, but I hit them. And uh, then I go to one of the most mild-mannered drivers. His name was Jack Dent. And I said, Jack, what were you doing out there? Like, like what, what did I do to you? He says, we finally were able to take a piece out of you. <laughs> and I thought, you know, and he, and he didn't really mean that like in a bad, bad way, 
But uh, when I look back and I look at some of the pictures, I was maybe 17. Greg and I were young, young, and we looked young. Like we weren't a mature 18 years old. We were baby looking 18. So, and, and uh, we were, we were doing okay competitive wise. And so we would be, we're probably pissing off a lot of people. Showing up 17 years old and cleaning up kind of thing. Yeah, but they didn't realize behind the scenes how hard we worked and how much we wanted to do this and how much we kind of strove just to do it. So I thought, okay, I can stay in street stock. We won the championship that year. I can stay in street stock, but I would have to become like them and turn into a bit of a hammerhead, Mm. which, I mean, might be overstating it a little bit, or move up a division into the super lates. They were called Superstock back then, and uh, uh, and then try to develop my skills up there. So, so that's what we did. That's what you did. That's what we did. So Superstock, that's yeah. about what year, roughly? Uh, what year did you make that change? When did I start that? Um, uh, first year university. Yeah, when I went to university for the first year, we were in Superstock. Yeah. 1984. Four. Yeah. Yeah. So what what did you drive in Superstock? What was the car? That car, I test drove it while we were racing the Camaro. So I raced it on a race day. I'd I'd race the Camaro and then hop out of that car and then into, it was a 76 Nova, but it was on a 64 Chevelle chassis. Mm -hmm. Uh, 64 Chevelles were not noted on the street to be ultimately great handling cars. Right. Um, a 1971 Camaro was noted to be a bit of a handling car. Right. That's why in street stock, it was a no brainer. We're racing a flipping Camaro. If you have an option to race a Camaro or a Nova against 64 Chevelles, I'm taking the Camaro (laughs) or Nova every day, anytime. But back then those cars were kind of frowned on because they had leaf springs and people were scared. How do you set up a leaf spring car? Well, Mm. we, we kind of figured that out. So anyway, um, I'm racing this this Nova, and I noticed whole, we took it out and tested it actually a couple days before we raced it, or maybe the weekend before, which was so good because I drove that thing and I spun it out every third lap. I spun the thing out. I said, Dad, this thing is it's got power. This is awesome. I love the power, but I couldn't keep up with it. I I could not steer it fast enough to keep it from spinning out. Hmm. So. I said, we got to, so we took it to the shop, put it on the pit and we looked at the front end and we looked at the steering and we just, you know, when you take a car in to check for loose ball joints and tie rod ends, the center link and idle arm, we, we looked at all of that test, checked it all out and it was all shot. So (laughs) it had a, it had a kind of a special custom made center link. Well, we put just the stock 64 Chev center link back in it. At least it wasn't loose. And uh, we replaced ball joints and tie rods if it needed it. And, and then, so when we took it out and raced it, I could actually race it without spinning it out. Was it a bullet? No. But that's the car we bought because at the end of our street stock season, we won the championship. Uh, we sold the car to a new driver, Wes Skaken was his name. And uh, he purposely waited till the season was over. He came down and talked to me. He says, Dan, I could claim this car on you, but I'm going to wait till the season's over. I says, I'd appreciate it because we would like to move to super, lo- super stock here and I'll sell it to you. 
and uh, so we had an agreement. And I sold that car to him, and I, I bought uh, this Nova, super stock. Uh, I bought out a partner, uh, Hank. I think his name was Hank Elder. And uh, so then George Fry was his partner that I became acquainted with. And George Fry joined our race team, and he was the engine guy that he would build motors in his basement. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, we teamed up, and that first winter... We took off that Nova body and we put on a brand new 1982 Camaro body, mm. and it was brand new. But it was a, it was a brand new car that was stolen from a dealership, driven through some barbed wire fences, abandoned because it caught fire, and so it was just burnt to the ground. <laughs> it, all you could see for the interior, for the seats, were the springs and the metal, like anything fabric, plastic, even aluminum melted. Melted. The the aluminum carburetor melted through the intake manifold and created a nice little mold in the top of the combustion chamber, like it was so hot. Yeah. So, so anyway, you, you, we found sandblasted the thing and yeah, we, we found this and we gutted the, the car and just stripped the exterior tin off of it and put it onto that 64 Chevelle race car chassis. And, uh, and then the body shop did their magic to it. So we had an awesome looking race car. That's cool. Yeah. So, neat. so where did you go with, with that thing? What, what was, we how many? Finished, in our first year in Superstock, we finished second place overall wow. and rookie of the year. So it was like phenomenal. Our, th- our second year in Superstock wasn't as good. I guess they call that your sophomore year. Okay. But our, our rookie year was just outstanding. It was awesome. But yeah, we fixed that car up so you could drive it. And then we would, every year, we would uh, always try to improve it, improve it, improve it. Yeah. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. So, okay, what was the next step in your racing career? Where, oh, to, was, where to go there from there? Well, we, we uh, from that Chevelle, um, our biggest race we won with that, uh, I was then now, uh, I became a, it's during my first year as a teacher. Um, it was in September, so I have my first class that i am got going on in the back of my mind. And uh, it was the Coke 100, and that was the big race of the year. It's 100 laps long. It's like big. I mean, we've been in 300 lap races since, but anyway, at that time, that was the big one, and uh, we won that one. We beat the infamous uh, or the famous Jim, uh, Jim Gaunt. He was our nemesis. He was he was the guy to beat. I mean, there was Wally Eby and and uh, Garth Hazelhurst and uh, 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 Calvin Moore. There was some big names uh, in racing back then, and uh, we beat them. Hmm. um on that weekend so that was big for us Uh, we sold the car that winter and we bought a competitor's uh, we bought trent gustus's how chassis which was an old chassis because he went to a brand new um hanley chassis which was totally state-of-the-art back then but we bought his old stuff and then worked on it and we event we won some championships with that too and and then we we wanted to get into uh a race car that was new and updated. Uh, we did not want to do that at the local level. Um, Cascar came around. Yeah. And then we thought, okay, now we're going. Now we'll get some equipment because we're in a in a competitive. Well, not that Super Late was not competitive. It was, but we, you know, in motorsport, we had to be careful because uh, in all sports, but motorsport is kind of famous for it it can be a money pit. Mm -hmm. So you have to do 
many things to control control the spending and so that was our philosophy we had to work under a certain budget but then we the racer in us always wanted to have better equipment the best thing that's right go the fastest yes yes so you get into the most competitive division at that time was cast car and uh we went into that and uh so that's about the what 90s or so you joined uh, i think we started cast car in 94 okay yeah and in 97, we won the Western Canadian Championship. That's amazing. And then we finished fourth nationally. Like, wow. Wow. In 97? In 97. Uh, we were fourth nationally, I think, in 98. 98? Yeah. Yeah. And then we retired from Cascar, not on our own volition or by our own volition. We, uh, we had some sponsorship um, challenges, and we just couldn't do it out of our own pocket. Uh, we needed sponsors. Yeah. And uh, we had we had we had three years with AC Delco, and holy smokes, those were our best years because we had some money, um, and we so we developed our program. We like I teamed up with Rob Howlett, which was another big step. Um, I, I raced against him, and I could see I could see what he could do as a fabricator uh, because I would race against him. I would have a problem with my car or I wanted to do an upgrade, like on the rear suspension. I wanted to do a, a different type of pan bar. And my dad, love him to bits, when things were working good, he would always say, Dan, just leave it. But I would say, I would want to make it better. And uh, <laughs> we did that our whole career. And sometimes that bit us in the ass, but some, a lot of times it didn't. So anyway, I would I would say, Rob, I want to put a different pan bar on it. Da- I, I wasn't a good welder, and I wouldn't trust my welding. Okay. So I would. So Dad would do it. But then when Dad's refusing to do it because the car's already working good and he doesn't want to do it, <laughs> so I had to find alternatives, and and I found Rob Howlett, and he he'd say, Sure, I can help you with that. That's no problem. It's just steel. We'll cut off the stuff that doesn't work. We'll weld on some stuff and you can test it. I thought, wow, this is a refreshing attitude. This is awesome. <laughs> so I thought to myself, if if ever we could team up with Rob, yeah. we would go places. But he was driving at the time and then but he had a year in super late model that was just a tough, tough year. He uh, he was involved in wrecks and stuff and I helped him get his car ready for the season and for the car show and stuff like that. We spent a lot of time together and, and I said, Rob, you know, if we team up, we're, we're going to, we're going to go somewhere. Yeah. And so that year, that fall, uh, we were busy getting our house painted and I was scraping off old paint and I had to hire a guy to finish my job because we drove out to Ontario to check out the Cascar series. And, uh, cause we knew Cascar West was coming uh, we were part of the kind of the beginning meetings of that, and we wanted to get involved. So we went out and saw a race in Ottawa. We went to the Delaware racetrack, which was the home of Cascar, owned by Tony Novotny, the president of Cascar. Went to their fiberglass shop where they make the bodies for the Cascar <laughs> series. Saw how they run a racetrack. They bring in potatoes. They cut their own French fries. They they have awesome food, awesome this, <laughs> awesome that. It's just like these guys know how to run it. So I thought we want to have a part of this. So we drove straight home from the racetrack from Ottawa. We drove straight home to Saskatoon. So how I'm, 32 hours later, we're back home. And uh, we decided that fall, okay, we're going racing. So then my cousin, so Greg and Chris that fall in November during a snow, sleet, 
lousy weather situation went with a flat deck trailer and picked up two bare chassis one for frank bast and one for ourselves and uh brought those back and then we and then and, and rob teamed up with us and we built our first cast car that's cool yeah so cast car is now it was bought out correct uh canadian tire series it became yes it did and then now it's actually called Pinty series. Correct. Right? They have the rights to that. Mm-hmm. So that's that's still around. It is. And it comes through Saskatoon. It has come through Saskatoon. Yes, it has. Right? Again, more recently. Yeah. Well, since 2006 at the new racetrack, they've been there every year. Every year. Yeah. yeah. We raced a couple of times against them in a Canadian Tire Series car that we picked up in North Carolina at Levitt Chassis. Rob bought that one. And uh, that was quite a thrill. And we would have loved to race those guys on a regular basis. Uh, we finished eighth in Saskatoon. We had problems during a pit stop. And uh, that was uh, only, I was out of the race car probably for a couple of years when we raced that that race. So it's not like I was racing every week and being totally sharp. Yeah. But it was coming back pretty fast. The competitive juices were still there. But the reality was um, we wanted so much. Like if we would have won the lottery at that time, Won the lottery and then had some money to spare. We had, the, I mean, I, I say this, I, like I love my job. I'm glad I was a teacher and vice principal for 31 years. And that all, that was a, a blessing in my life. Uh, but a part of me wanted to go race against those guys out east every weekend just to assert ourselves with those boys because uh, we knew we could. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you need money to do that. You do. We just didn't have it. And you don't want to risk uh you know your family's future to try to do that i can i can understand that yeah you know you still had an amazing career in racing and yes. an amazing career in the school system yeah, too right so you can't I'm pretty blessed no kidding yeah okay uh here's a few random questions i want to know so so we were in you were at cascar that mm-hmm. was through the 90s uh and then and then when did when did you stop racing I stopped for a few years um, after Cascar. That was about 01, 2001, I think. We had a season where we only raced five or four races. We had very limited sponsorship, but we finished on the podium every race <laughs> and had two wins, I think. So we were strong, but we weren't going to do it uh, and go broke. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I didn't want the locks getting changed at home. <laughs> 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 I wanted everything to be okay that way. So that was about oh one. We were we were um, stepped out and we sold our fifth wheel trailer and we and we sold the race car. Um, not all at once. And my gosh, I wish we could have sold it at once because we were making payments on the fifth wheel trailer. And if you're not racing, but you think, oh, I got a sponsor. I think they're interested. I think we can make a go of it. And then it was yes, maybe yes, maybe yes, maybe yes. And then it's like no. So anyway. Um, in around, um, probably 2002, 2003, it was becoming obvious that Bridge City Speedway in its current location would have to look to be relocated and right. find a new home. Like we talked about at the beginning of the show. That's right. It's now where a bunch of houses are. Exactly. So, uh, I was on the committee and so was Rob and, uh, many other people, uh, kind of laying the groundwork for the new home of 
Bread City Speedway. And we even sat down with the folks at Prairie Land Exhibition because maybe we could race oh. in the infield of the racetrack, of the horse track. <laughs> Turns out now we yeah. know that this year we found out the racetrack is no longer anymore either, I know. which is a sad thing. But. Right. So I remember being at a, a big committee meeting and it was open to the public and it was at uh, Prairie Land Exhibition in, in Hall A or B or whatever. And I'm on stage making my spiel of the benefits of motorsport and how cool it is and or how beneficial to a community it is and stuff like that and some people were asking about the noise and things like that mm-hmm. and i said you know what if we're going to be neighbors we don't want to be one of those neighbors that you're phoning the cops on all the time yeah. we want to be good neighbors so we would make sure our cars have mufflers on them that are decent I mean, they're race cars. They got to sound cool. They got to sound powerful, but they don't have to like break your eardrums, you know? So we'll, we'll work on that. Anyway, some people came up to me afterwards. They said, you know what? You spoke so well. You have a, you have a future in uh, city council or something. I'm sure I'm going to be listening <laughs> to you in there. And I thought, oh, that, that's interesting. God bless people on city council. Actually, shout out to uh, Dave Curtin. He's a yes. motorsport uh fan motorsport awesome announcer so yeah uh, and, and a yeah. friend of both of ours yes yes i've worked with david in radio for a long time yeah too, so so that that's that's cool but uh anyway that kind of rekindled oh and then when we got located at our current location it's like holy nice racetrack wall beautiful like and so real we, stands we, the we whole knew bit. that exactly we knew this was coming so we built a car that could handle the Cascar Super Series when it came to town because it was still Cascar the first couple of years of the new racetrack. Right. So um, that was this pretty serious kick butt sportsman car that was capable of handling the Super Series when they come to town. And so that got us back into racing again. And then co-op come on board because finally we're racing locally and yes. not traveling all over Canada where co-op isn't located. Mm-hmm. So they loved it. And they promoted their high-performance gasoline, which we ran in our engine. So their high-performance premium gasoline is what powered that race car to many, many, many wins and championships and stuff. So So that's like 04, 05, 06, something like that? Yeah, we raced at the old track uh, in 0... We brought it out for a couple races in 04, and then 05, the the last season at Bridge City Speedway. And so we saw it get dismantled after our last race meet. And then we brought it out to the new track. And I remember the first race at the new track with our car, zero testing on it. And uh, because the two weeks prior to that, we were scrambling to get that track ready to open. We opened it on July 26th or something like that. And uh, I remember July long weekend, we were camping out at Chris Shirley's acreage and the kids and Tam would stay there. I'd get up early in the morning, head out to the track, and then that kept going for two weeks straight. And working 14, like 12 to 14 to 16 hour days at the track, oh. helping get that thing ready to open. And then Rob and our other crew in the last two weeks, they Rob was pivotal in getting our new racetrack up to speed too. He had to step back from that, and then they got the car ready. Um and it was in decent shape from the year before, so we kind of got, got it ready. Anyway, they worked hard on that. First race day, um, uh, it was fun. It was awesome because it had a wall. And we knew a lot of people, are, were, were, a lot of competitors are scared of or are reluctant, are 
um, they might be in, slightly intimidated by the wall. Well, like we talked about before, yeah. in the old Bridge City, if right. you went off the track, you just went off the track. That's right. You didn't collide with something necessarily. Yeah, there's no heavy concrete wall to kind of wreck your day. So uh, we loved it. And we knew that wall is going to clean up the racing because you don't have an escape route that you did before. And you can't purposely mess around with people because the consequences, if you don't do it right, are pretty severe. Yes. Like they don't, don't just go off the track. They go into the wall. A concrete wall that does not move. Like, we don't have soft walls on this wall. The walls are hard. Like, cup, you know, uh, NASCAR cup races, yep. their tracks, they have, uh, they have a, a steel, big steel, heavy plate that's about, uh, I'm going to guess, two and a half feet away from the concrete wall. And in between... There's um, a section of uh, like styrofoam components that just absorb the energy, mm-hmm. and uh, it does an outstanding job. Anyway, we don't have any of that, and but I remember qualifying our car. The track was a little green, but we qualified number one, and uh, and then I think. Yeah, every race the car just kept getting faster and faster and faster <laughs> because I was comfortable racing on a track with a wall. And I knew, the like, if we're going to take advantage of the situation, we got to do it early because the competitors will eventually get used to this and uh, they will become stronger, yeah. which they did. But uh, we knew we'd have a little bit of an edge on them the first few races. That's but, pretty cool. Yeah, it worked out good. So that that got us going again. And um, it, the... Uh, then our, our Sportsman Series changed from the Cascar Sportsman Series to the West uh, Western Elite Stock Car Tour. And so uh, that, that was, uh, it was well-sponsored, and there were some competitive teams in it. It was very good. You know, it's, it's kind of uh, surreal talking about all this, and we're literally sitting about three feet away from your son, yeah. Matt Shirley's, you know, race car. Yes. We're sitting right behind the thing. It's, yeah, yeah. It, it, talk about, a, like for me, coming to your garage is always mm-hmm. a bunch of fun because there's so much cool stuff like this sitting around and there's a stack of racing tires behind us. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. I just don't get to see that in my regular life. <laughs> no, I hear you. Um, yeah. So so if I can ask you this, what brought your racing career to more of an end? Why, why did you end up, you know? Why did I? Well, Matthew and Connor, they both got into go-kart racing. Um Matthew was 12 years old when he got involved in it. And although I was still racing out at out at uh, Wyant Group, um, I retired. Well, I retired. I quit racing when I was 46. That was our car number. Matthew and Connor said, Dad, you got to keep racing at least until you're 46. That's your car number. <laughs> and, it, you know, they, if you look at the, at the uh, photo albums, um, our original race car number was 64. Because 64 was my Uncle Tom's number. Okay. And so I, I kind of kept the family tradition going. And we went to 64. So it's good that uh, they said, Dad, you got to... It's good I wasn't 64 in Cascar. <laughs> when I went to Cascar, we had to change our number because there already was a, a current 64 competitor, Mark Dilley, who ran out east. And uh, at that time, they wouldn't allow duplicate numbers. Now, about five years later, they decided that would be okay. Anyway, you, so we were 46. You were 46. So I, I quit when I, I retired from racing as a driver in, when I was 46. So that was about 11 years ago. So what is that, 2010? Yeah, that was 2010, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, have, and have you climbed back into yeah. a race car since yeah, you've been around we, the track? Well, Rob had 
Chris Shirley's sportsman car out at his place for a couple years. And I said, Rob, we should get that thing sold. And the only way to sell something is to compete with it. If it's a race car, you got to be on the racetrack running it. Because com- most competitors aren't crazy enough to just look at something, assess its value, and say, you know what, we can fix that, and we can make it into something really cool. Mm. They want to see it on the racetrack, be proven, and then they'll say, okay, we can buy that now. So it's like a thoroughbred horse. Yeah. In a way. That's right. Right? Like you don't just look at a horse and go, oh, that looks like that'll be a fast horse. Right. So You've got to see it race. That's right. Okay. So we got this thing fixed up, and um, uh, we raced it for a part of a season. Um and uh, I'm racing against Matthew Shirley. So I'm racing against your son. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was really cool. I want to know about your best race ever in your mm. career. Cause there must be one in your head that you go, that was the best race I ever had for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, though. Okay. Our first cast car win came in Prince George Oh, that was that was awesome because the the first win uh, just kind of starts gets the momentum going. It's like taking, well, not that I'm a champagne drinker, I'm not, but popping the cork on a champagne bottle. Yeah. It's like okay, we can do this. Yeah, let's go. And uh, we, yeah, that was Prince George, but it was cool. We worked hard. Rob worked hard in the shop. We changed over our, our suspension completely front and back. We got rid of the rubber bushings, you know, like we replaced on your Buick. Yeah. We got rid of all that rubber and we put in uh, um, spherical high mends and stuff like that. We got rid of all the play and slack and uh, we went to Prince George. It was just my dad, Rob, uh, my uncle Dennis. And myself, just the four of us, yeah. in a in a '73, no, an eight, 1983 Chevy orange van <laughs> with an open trailer on the back <laughs> with the toolbox in the front of it, and we're going to Prince George, and uh, we were there early for displays, the uh, you know on the previous day. Um, we're in the, my dad snores like crazy, so I have to sleep in the van in the parking lot, <laughs> and and the night before the race. Um, you can hear when the bar closes and the parking lot gets noisy, uh-huh. you know? So anyway, one of our competitors thought it was so cool if he could back his race car out of the trailer and rev, start it up and rev it up a bit and show off to all these people. He's a local guy and I'm not going to say his name, but he kind of woke me up and I'm already having a terrible sleep. He wakes me up. So first person i bump into in the morning <laughs> is this team and i see them coming out of the hotel and they're looking a little worse for wear and i i i chew them i said guys we're in the cast car series this is supposed to be the cfl of stock car racing in yeah. canada and you're pulling a stunt like this like what the hell so i'm just grumpy because i haven't had my pancakes yet <laughs> i had a poor sleep and i got a bit of a racer's edge going on and then okay so then you go to the grocery store and you're picking up the gatorades and the, the snacks for the coolers for during the race day and we're all in our race uniforms and <laughs> the, we're up at the till i'm there and and we're i'm broke and rob doesn't realize how broke i am and he's he's just filling the cart like he knows i'm paying the bill and he's just <laughs> filling the cart and I said, I, I'm pretty sure, Rob, we missed something in the store. Like <laughs> He didn't get everything. We didn't get everything. Do we have enough? So 
So I'm keeping this all to myself. Kind of got a bit of a yeah race face going on, grumpy, um, broke. And then the person at the till, you know what they say? Because we're all in our uniforms, we're all matching. Are you guys in town for the bowling tournament? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, great. The bowling tournament. The bowling tournament. Not that I have anything against bowling, but gee, no, this is a big race. It's at Gold Pan Speedway. Or no, Pagera Speedway. And uh, anyway, so we get to the racetrack and we qualify. I think we qualified fifth or sixth or whatever. But they roll the dice and... Uh, the top six cars if you roll a six then the sixth place car gets to go and pull and i think we started outside pole and uh that race we had kevin dowler who won championships in the players gm series and highly sponsored by mohawk and ford and and stuff like that and uh he was just on he could be on my tail for a while but rob would just say dan he's using up his stuff you just keep doing what you're doing (laughs) He's using it up. And uh, so he he overdrove things. And, and uh, we just, uh, that day, I remember driving it into the corner, getting off the gas earlier, braking less, just trying to be smooth and getting on the gas early, but not real hard and just being really smooth with uh-huh. everything. Because that track was rough. We were on a narrow eight inch tire. Grip was everything. And uh, you just had to kind of baby it to go fast. And we won that race. Really? That was our biggest win. So, yeah. Had to sleep in the darn van again that night because Dad was still <laughs> snoring. But You won the but, race and slept in the van. <laughs> yeah, but that was, I don't care if it was a lousy sleep or not because we won the race. And we came home. We were all just pumped. Yeah. Now, I'm sure a part of racing, and it, you know, is is crashing too. Yeah. What's, what's can I ask you what the worst crash you've ever in was? Uh, apart from the one where I ran into that Buick. Um. I would say Edmonton on a road course, uh, going down a long straightaway, and I and a, one of our competitors uh, spins out in front of me. I I avoid him, but then in that process of avoiding him, and when you have a road course set up on an airport, the the space is infinite. Mm-hmm. There's no lines or curbs to say this is where your course is okay after you make about 20 laps you kind of figure it out and then so they have concrete barricades like those those tall you know three jersey barrier things yeah Yeah. and they had two or three of these concrete jersey barriers in a spot where they could have moved it 50 feet onto the grass and had it over there but i had the car i missed the the wreck but I had the car sideways, and I cannot slow it down any more than it's going sideways, but I can't steer it, and I smoke the jersey barrier hard. And it's and then so where, uh, so we were put out of that race. Uh, and this, I think, happened, oh, sorry, the following year. Do you think that jersey barrier was in that spot? <laughs> no, they moved it onto the grass where it should have been the previous year. Oh, man. But I drilled it, and that uh, it broke our rear suspension it bent the frame on the right side it was nasty so you mean you've had a racing career as good as yours has been and you've never had to leave the track in an ambulance or no. ruined a car so bad that it was it couldn't totaled it. off no totaled off is not really right. an appropriate word but you know like wrecked destroyed yeah because that that car that was wrecked in that race uh that became our champion that was our championship car the next year you put it back together 
Oh, yeah. But, I mean, there's racers that have raced yeah. even more recently mm-hmm. who have wrecked a car to the point where the, frame is, the frame is done. Yeah, they, yeah. You replace, you basically just keep the, the com, some of the components, the, right. maybe the motor or, yeah, yeah. you know, transmission. No, yeah, knock on wood, that was, you know, we when we were racing the National Series in Cascar, we even had a spare front clip. Like that's the front frame and yep. all the uh, structure, all the, the stock car structure that's associated with it. And we'd carry that in the back of the truck. And that looked a little ominous, you know. <laughs> I mean, we couldn't afford a spare car, but we could afford, we had a spare front clip. <laughs> a piece of one. Yeah, that's right. Because if you tear one off and you're out there on a national swing, you got to be able to get her going again. Sure. We never did have to use it for us. In fact, that became uh, a competitor's car. Like uh, Rob built a car for Don Sales and uh he used that front clip <laughs> that, on his car that drove around all of Canada yeah 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 that's pretty so, impressive dan well uh lucky fortunate maybe um no but you you were that successful and avoided wrecks that you know a lot yeah. of other racers have had yeah uh, it's it's one thing that yeah i guess if, like uh the the um, the deal I made with myself to, you know, to not repeat the same mistakes that you've, you've made earlier on and maybe has paid off. Yeah. 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 I'd say, yeah. I know what I was going to ask we you. We won the wind chill race. That was a big race. What's the wind chill race? That was a race where sportsmen, street stock, even super lates could race together and they had big money up for first place, five grand. Whoa. And, uh, so we, that's when we got. Uh, Chris Shirley's car that Rob owned we got that fixed up for a few races that year and so we raced that that was in 2010 and Matthew beat me a couple times and I was just livid and you know some people would say (laughs) said oh yeah Dan is just being easy on Matthew (laughs) and no because one one uh, the last race of the year before this big windshield race I'm leading it and uh and caution comes out a late caution with maybe five or maybe three laps to go and then I get kind of shuffled. They kind of, uh, Jason Hankowicz uh, was racing with us and he kind of gives me the bumper and stuff like that. And then I'm going three across. Jason's on the bottom. I'm in the middle and Matthew's on the top. And okay, and we're racing hard and there's two laps to go. Well, who's going to lift? Well, if, if I don't lift, there might be two of those three cars in the wall hard and I'm associated with both of them. So do I want to work on two cars and spend a lot of money to try to fix them? No. So I backed out of the gas a little bit, and then I try to pass them back. I think we finished second or third, and I'm in the pits, and I'm just mad. Just mad because we had that damn race won, and Matthew won it, so he is just pumped. Uh, I think Matthew won it. Either that or Jason did, but I think Matt won it. So he's thrilled. And that's good. And I'm pissed off. <laughs> Which he probably feels is awesome. You know? So uh, that, that was a cool race. So then the windshield comes up. The first 50 laps, the car is working great. Mm-hmm. And we're leading it. And I'm just in strategy mode, just out front, but saving stuff. Saving it, saving it, saving it, saving it. Going fast enough to... To lead it and then at the 50 lap mark there's a pit stop and then rob give all four tires a boot with his foot steel-toed boot boom boom the right front was going down mm. so he replaced both right side tires i thought he just replaced the one but he replaced both anyway so we started at the back with 50 laps to go and the car wasn't as good 
And so I know that as the laps are winding down, I'm getting closer to the front and I can see we were in about sixth or seventh spot and I can see up ahead things are getting busy. Oh yeah. And I knew some stuff was going to happen. <laughs> Sparks were flying. And, uh, yeah, Matthew, he was ahead of us at that time and he got involved in, in something. He, he, I don't think he instigated that one. He didn't, he got shoved into some stuff and there was some altercations. Caution comes out. Matthew is spun out on the racetrack up against the wall. Uh, a competitor of his, um, um, Kevin Dick, who is now, uh, in super late and mm-hmm. continues to be a competitor of Matthew's and awesome team. Uh, He's, he's wrecked bad in this wreck. And uh, so I'm, I'm talking to Rob on the radio, and I'm saying, Rob, how's the 12 car? I see its bumper, the back bumper's tore off of it and stuff like that. How bad is it? And so I'm asking questions about the 12 car, and I'm, I'm in third place on the racetrack yeah. okay, for the restart. And he says, Dan, quit asking about the 12 car. Get focused on your job. <laughs> and I said, Rob... that's pretty hard to do i mean no i said rob don't you worry there might have been another word in between you and worry because we got this covered and on the restart i had every uh, intention of giving like i was watching how alex started the heat race and there he was leaving something on the table on restarts mm-hmm. going into corner one on on a restart and so i thought okay i'm going to implement what i've learned and i'm going to use it and so i went through corner one right on his tail and i was going to give him the bumper but things started kind of stacking up coming to me alex's right front wheel bearing during the caution overheated because things the airspeed was down, mm-hmm. the cooling effect was down, the heat the heat created by the racing process with a lighter front hub on a pro truck uh, just was too much for it, and it started to, to bind up. Pack up, yeah. Yeah, so he was going up the track. I was committed to giving him the bumper anyway, so I was accelerating like crazy in the middle of the corner and coming off. So it just looked like the seas parted and we squirt right to the lead. <laughs> and then there's another sportsman competitor behind me who I raced against in Superstock way back when. And now he raced on a regular basis against Matthew and Sportsman, Tim Cammer, great guy. Um, but I knew he would not hesitate to put the bumper to me. And so he... I, I drove into corner three, as I usually do, uh, and he drove in corner three faster than he ever did before, just trying to get his bumper onto mine so yep. he can make me wiggle and then or move up, and then somehow he'd gain control of the car, his car, and get under and try to make the pass. Like he was ready to bump the pass, like spin to win or whatever. Y- yeah, right. So when you know that's coming, you got to get going. And uh, we were able to, to fend them off, and we got the $5,000 check. That's so cool. It's all good. Yeah. Yep. As a race car driver mm-hmm. and a dad, mm-hmm. were, were is it, was it ever the kids when, you were, when, when they were young, was it ever like, you know, drive the minivan like a race car dad? Did that ever happen? What, oh. what kind of what kind of driver? Oh, on, yeah. What kind of driver on the street are you, Dan? Well, we're driving like a, um, 
what were we? We were going to church on Sunday on a snowy day where the roads are just, you know, packed. It's awesome conditions. And we had a little sunbird. Um, the, the back brakes, if you didn't get rid of the brake dust out of the back brakes on a regular basis on those sunbirds, the back brakes, when you touch the brakes, they would lock up like in icy conditions. They ahead, would, ahead of the fronts. Ahead of the fronts. And that's handy when you're making a quick left-hand turn <laughs> in the wintertime. So, but when a neighbor is crossing the street, so you have to, you're, you're watching the neighbor cross the street. You're heading towards that intersection that you want to turn left on. You're making sure that she's close enough to the curb so that you don't scare her. <laughs> and so she's like one step off the curb, heading towards the curb. Like she's a step away from ultimate safety. I touch the brakes. The, the sunbird just kicks out and then you get on the gas to make your, cause the front wheel drive and it just finishes <laughs> the corner. It's perfect. It's just perfect. And Tam is saying, Dan, why are you doing that on the way to church? And the boys in the back seat, Dad, do that again. Do just it again. cheering, right? Oh, yeah. They just figured that's awesome. Yeah. I remember I had an uh, aunt and uncle who had a, a Chevy Suburban. And yeah. I just remember it was one, I don't know, Easter visiting my grandparents in Cudworth, snowy. And then yeah. my uncle went and did some donuts in the church oh, parking, yeah. parking lot. And I thought yeah. that was the coolest thing ever, too. Oh, for sure. You know, like that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Would you call yourself a fast, speedy driver when you're on the just on the street? No. You have a, you have I, when a, I was younger. Yeah. You know how, uh, well, as you're older, you have your mortgage payment. You have utilities. <laughs> well, when you're younger, you have... I had my biggest expense, yearly expense, was my driver's license because I had so many tickets. And the, <laughs> it got to the point where, okay, this is ridiculous. I got to fix this. And so I just, I, I toned it down on the street because I was getting pulled over on a regular basis. I would, I, I'd call one time, I, and well, I guess it's over a course of two or three years. I'd come out of a car wash. I had a nice 73 Oldsmobile two-door it was an omega omega with a 350 four barrel they called Whoa. it a rocket had set of headers on it it was just nice and actually i had a 73 it was even nicer it wasn't as fast anyway um you come out of the car wash all four of your tires are wet and so i like to make corners 90 degree corners without using the steering all the time <laughs> like turning your steering wheel that just takes more work if you can just gas it just the right amount yeah you can kick the back end out and and then you know counter steer a little bit and then away you go it's awesome but when a police officer sees that <laughs> they they take it all the wrong way and uh -huh. I, I got pulled over i'm on 11th street just because i come out of the Vern's car wash sideways and it was perfect. But anyway, he pulls me over and he, I'm in the back seat of the police car and he is just giving me the lecture and it's almost getting personal. Like he's, he's said, uh, he said things that I could tell he knew me. Ah. And then, and then, so I'm a little concerned, but he says, Dan, I, I grew up down the street from you and we lived in whatever house it was. And if you keep doing stuff like this, I've seen people your age doing stuff like that, and they end up wrapped around a telephone pole, and they're dead. And I thought, okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, that I understand, but I wasn't going to die on that move. <laughs> but anyway, that being said, I had to listen to him. I guess what helped me growing up is I had a lot of respect for my elders, um... 
my dad and my uncles and stuff like that. And when a person in authority says stuff like that, even though you were very confident in that you weren't going to kill yourself on that occasion or anybody else. Yeah. Um, if you do let yourself get carried away with those urges and on the street, it could lead to problems. I remember driving down circle drive and I, and, and this is uh, between Avenue C and I'm, I'm going um, uh, east and there's a concrete uh, meridian and it's kind of sloped down to the ground. And I thought, you know what? I could put my left side tires on that thing and I could ramp up it pretty easy because it looks pretty smooth. And I'll bet you I could ride on my two wheels. Two wheels. <laughs> and I thought to myself, what the hell am I doing even thinking that? Um, but uh, I did not... Um, I did not uh, enact that impulse, that's for <laughs> sure. But I think to be a good race car driver, you have to have a little bit of that kind of uh, willingness to take a chance, um, but you have to be rational about it. And that's, so the combination of the daring with the rational and the uh, the strategic part. That's I, what makes a good oh, race car driver. Yeah, I think so. And yeah. that's why I loved long races, because then the strategy and all of that, all of those aspects are utilized yeah so uh, now i'm a quite a conservative driver yeah yeah in fact tam my wife will not like to hear this but i have the better driving record i have the highest discount <laughs> <laughs> i know what i was gonna ask you yeah. um so have have all of your hot cars been for the track yeah yeah Yes. Talk about a Sunbird. That's uh, yeah. not exactly... A Sunfire. Uh, a Sunbird is not a race car. No. No, my sportiest cars uh, were when I was younger, before kids, before being married. Um, I'd have like... A, I had a 73 Oldsmobile Omega, a nice red one with the rally, with the factory rally wheels, the wide tires. I mean, it was awesome. Uh, it looked great. Um, then I got... I sold it. Bought another one. Um, it w The engine was seized on it. And dad helped me get it unseized. Yeah. We bought it for 200 bucks, put an exhaust system on it. It had a fire, so we did some wiring on it, fixed it up. It had manual steering, manual brakes, but it had a 350 four barrel with a cam in it. Oh, really? And it would take, it would beat any like 72, 73 Camaro on 8th Street. Yeah, I blew the transmission out of that one though, and then we we put a, a we put a used transmission in it, and then I'm test driving it in Fairhaven down Fairmont Drive or something like that. <laughs> I get pulled over within a block of home. A uh, police officer says, uh, "So what were you doing?" I, well, well, we changed the transmission. I was just kind of testing it out to make sure it works good. He says, "Well, it's working good, but I'm gonna give you a ticket for it." <laughs> That's funny. It's like japers. So about that time, I decided I better make a little bit of a lifestyle change. So I, um, fast forwarding to when we did have kids, we were driving a an '86 um, GMC uh, Astro van. Oh yeah. You know? And I was helping another competitor out. Like they, he brought his car to our shop and we gave him the setup on the car, put it on the scales and set it up for him. And then as part of the service, we uh, gave him some race driving line um, 
technique and uh, teaching instruction, and I had to model it driving the Astro van. <laughs> and Matthew is in his booster seat on the passenger seat in at Bridge City Speedway. I'm driving it and showing the sportsman car who's behind us where the line is. And you can't purposely just go five miles an hour in the racing line. You got to have your vehicle up to a bit of a speed so that it, you kind of find it. And it just kind of goes there. So we're doing that in the Astro van. And <laughs> tires are howling in the corners and stuff like that. Matthew's strapped in on the booster seat and just loving it. And then Gopher scoots across the track. And the Gopher didn't make it to the infield. But <laughs> Matt, thank goodness Matthew did not notice that. And I did not say, hey, did you see the Gopher we just ran over? But anyway... <laughs> An uh, Astro van around a track. That's right. I love that. And Russ Martin, he was the he was the competitor in the sportsman car. He laughed. He says, uh, a, a guy with your racing heritage, your racing background, and your success on the racetrack, and you're showing me the racing line driving a flipping minivan. Like, what's the what's the deal? I says, <laughs> yeah. I guess you know if I would have had uh, like a Corvette or a Camaro in those years. Um, I'm glad I didn't. Yeah. Because when you got, if you have a car like that, you got to drive it. Like I, I want to get a Camaro or, or pardon me, a Corvette of a certain vintage, but I would love to take it to a racetrack and then you can test it out. You well, at least you would do. Yeah. Because I don't feel comfortable testing it out to its necessary level on the street. No. You know, so then I think why own it? Like why be tempted? Like every minute I would drive it. It's like okay, let's let's go with this. It's thing. more fun to drive a slow car fast. Yeah. Than it is to drive a fast car slow. That's well said. You're right. Yeah. That's that's why my first little Civic with all of its 55 horsepower. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Was a barrel of monkeys. That's right. You just drove that thing as hard as you could and never broke a, a rule or a yeah. law in the process. That's right. right. No, that's perfect. <laughs> Dan, thanks so much for joining me today. This has been lots of laughs and tons of great stories. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. It's a thrill. And uh, it's been a long time since I've done this much bench racing. Well, no, it's it's good. Well, I'm sure we'll do it again. And I, um, I know I want to get Matthew on to talk about, for sure. about his career. Take off mm-hmm. from the story from where we left off with him and mm-hmm. and talk about where he's gone with all, all of what he's doing. So thanks so much. You're very welcome. It was awesome. Thanks it's for listening, too. Uh, and you know what? If you want to find more of this, follow me on you can find me on facebook under j thomas auto as well as instagram and of course my website jthomasauto.ca thank you for listening to bald tires i'm j thomas